All right, if you'd stand with me, we should have a text of Scripture up here on the, on the screen. We'll read that together. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? You may be seated. Um, just a few words on who I am, what I'm doing here, why I'm here. Uh, my name is Matt McCann, and I am the pastoral resident at this church. Uh, I've said that before. About three years ago, I, I reached out to Matt Cruz because I wanted to plant a church in the Merrimack Valley. That's where I grew up. It's a half hour north. So um, I reached out to him. He told me to come here. And what's happened is the pastors of this church, and in a very real way, all the people here, have stepped into my life, uh, into my family's life, because, out of love for me to make sure that this call to pastor is done with holiness, with joy, and... Um, they have done that out of love for me. So the first thing I wanted to say was that I am incredibly indebted to the pastors at this church and the people of this church, and I will be for the rest of my life. So just know that I stand up here very grateful and amazed at the grace of God to allow me to open his scripture with you this morning. Okay, uh, the sermon. In John 21, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, feed my sheep. He said, Peter, feed my lambs. So for that reason and a few others in Scripture, we call pastors under-shepherds. It means that Jesus is the chief, the first shepherd, and by his authority and only under his authority, a pastor leads a people. So he is literally an under-shepherd to Jesus. So Jesus is charged with caring for and feeding and protecting his sheep. The people who follow him, we call that his flock, his sheep, his people. And a pastor is a sheep too, because a pastor is following Jesus. A pastor is under the care and protection of Jesus, but a pastor is also appointed uniquely to care for a group of people. A pastor is uniquely appointed by God to care for, protect, and lead Jesus' people, his sheep. All right, enough with the sheep riddles, right? A pastor has the job of taking the word of God, and sometimes that job is to say, yes, yes, amazing, right? What you've done is amazing. It's incredible. I'm excited about this. What God is doing in your life, I see it, and it's amazing. I'm so grateful to you. Sometimes that's the pastor's job, right? The pastor has the job of encouraging you. Jesus is going to do this thing in your life. Don't stop. Don't turn back. Jesus is going to do this. Keep going. Keep going. This is good. Right? Sometimes that's the pastor's job. So a pastor stands up on Sunday. He holds out the word of God. He preaches that message. And sometimes your heart is right in line with what he's saying. Sometimes you're like, yes, this is good. This feels good. In those times, you love your pastor's job. You love your pastor. Right? A pastor has a job of coming to your house, sitting in front of you, and saying, hey, let's, let's talk about life. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. And sometimes they're going to sit in front of you, and everything that comes out of their mouth is just going to be good. That's what's going on right now, so it's good things, right? It's easy, is it not, to love your pastor in those times, when he comes with the happy things, the encouraging things. Sometimes you might sit down and say, look it, you've been incredible life and health to my ministry right now. I just want to thank you. That feels good, right? Your pastor's encouraging you. Sometimes 
when his words are blue skies and butterflies, and everything he says is like a high five to your heart, and your heart's like, yeah, pastor. You love him in those times. That's one side of the pastor's job, all right? That's one, sh- one side of this shepherd coin. If the pastor's your shepherd, that's one side of his job. The other side is this. Sometimes the pastor has to stand up with the word of God, take the staff that he walks around and cares for his sheep with, and sometimes he has to take it and smack you on the back with it. This is when the pastor gets up on Sunday, he holds out the word, and the message he's preaching just doesn't jive with this thing right in here, right? You're just like, oh, you're sitting under it, and he's coming hard. He's going heavy, and you feel it. It's when a pastor comes to your house, and he sits down, and he says, hey, let's talk about your life. Let's talk about, actually, this specific area of your life, and I want to talk about, you can insert the blank, whatever it is, right? You start to talk, and the comments he's making, the counseling he's giving, his shepherding might be against the way you feel, might not be what your heart is really holding on to, what your heart really wants at those times. What I'm saying is that side of the pastor's job is hard to love. The pastor is hard to love when that's what he's doing, when he comes to your house and he has to give you the hard-to-stomach truths. So the question that the text gives us today, our text, Galatians chapter 4, 15, it leads us to this question. What are you going to do when a pastor sits down or stands up and gives you hard-to-handle truths? What's your heart going to do when a pastor fulfills that call on his life appointed by God to preach hard truths to you? What's your heart going to do with it? I'll pray and then, and then we'll open up our Bibles. God, let us get from your word today what you would have us get for our, for our joy in your highest glory. Holy Spirit, I need you to be with my words as I speak, and we need you to be uh, on our hearts to hear these words. We'll give you praise. Amen. All right, I'm in Galatians chapter 4, verse 15. If you want to go there, I'll read that. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So let me try to give you a picture that will help you understand these words before we go into what was happening with Paul, why he's writing this letter to the Galatians. So when I was a kid... I loved, loved chicken cutlets. Loved them, right? I was an extremely privileged kid. I had a mom and dad who loved me. And specifically, I had a mom who would cook me food and feed me. So I kid you not, my love for chicken cutlets was deep. I absolutely loved them. My mom, she'd take that hammer with the, with the spikes on the end. She'd pound out some chicken, flatten it bread it on both sides, throw it in a pan with some oil, and she dished those things up, and they were amazing, right? Whenever I got the opportunity to pick dinner, which wasn't often, I picked chicken cutlets. So after my mom made me these cutlets, I would go and I'd play in the streets, and I'd tell all my friends how amazing my mom was. I'd go to bed that night, and I'd be like, Mom, you're the best. I love you so much. Thank you for being in my life. I'm exaggerating a little. Um, <laughs> The point is, I loved my mom on cutlet night. Loved her. Now, because my mom loved me and she was a great mother, some nights she made spinach. 
And I hated spinach. Absolutely hated spinach. Um, superhero fans. Batman and Joker. Superman and Lex, Luca, Lex Luthor. You ever heard of Matt McCann and spinach? That was, that I'm serious. I absolutely hated spinach. So now, I was a punk, no doubt. I'd have to sit at the dinner table and I would just whine and agonize under the cruel tutelage of spinach. They'd say, you cannot leave this dinner table until you eat what's on your plate. And we had a bathroom in my, bathroom in my kitchen. I'd eat some spinach. I'd run in there and I'd start gagging. Complete drama king. All right. This is part confession. I've needed to get this off my chest for some time. I've never talked to my mom about this. So where do you think my heart's affections were from my mom on spinach night? My mom was the worst on spinach night. Literally, like, I don't want to use the word hate in case she listens to this after, but it was like my mom hated me. She was the enemy to my happiness on spinach night. She didn't want my good, my, the good thing for me, right? When, she was chicken, when it was chicken cutlets, my soul was like, yes, this is a joy, this is a delight. Mom, I love you. When she dished out the spinach, hated her, right? She was like my enemy. Some of you might know this intimately from your own childhood. Some of you moms with kids might be dealing with this right now. It could turn out okay. Just want to tell you that. So that's what's happening in this text, all right? Paul, a pastor, the shepherd, is loved by the Galatians when he's preaching life, grace, joy, when he's encouraging them. He's loved by them when he's a shepherd leading the way on easy terrain. Paul is like my mom on chicken cutlet night. But when Paul's preaching the hard truths, right, when Paul's saying, look, you've been deceived. You're being a fool in this. You're acting crazy. You're wrong. That's when it's hard to deal with Paul, right? They're in danger of hating Paul on this proverbial spinach night. They're in danger of hating Paul when he has to fulfill that aspect of his job that requires him to take his shepherd's staff and smack the sheep with it. So here's what happened. Look at Galatians 4, verse 14 with me. Paul goes to Galatia. He started preaching Christ, crucified for the forgiveness of sins. This brought in renewed relationship with God. This is amazing. The Galatians are born again. They love this, right? It's no wonder that they loved Paul. They treated Paul, he says, like he was an angel come from God, like he was Jesus Christ himself. That's what Paul says the, the Galatians' affection was for him. So let me help you, let me try to explain that. If Jesus Christ in the flesh today showed up at your door and knocked on your door and he was like, hey, can I get a place to sleep tonight? Would anyone be like, bum, go, go find a hotel room? No, right? This is Jesus Christ in the flesh. The first thing you'd probably do is go number two in your pants, and then you'd have to go and change your pants. But after you did that, you would ask Jesus to come in the house. You'd say, Jesus, take off your open-toe sandals. Go sit on my couch in the living room. Put your feet up. I'm going to go upstairs to my bedroom. I'm going to change all the sheets. I'm going to fluff the pillows. You're staying in the master bedroom tonight. Then you'd come downstairs and you'd be like, Jesus, we're gonna, I'm going to cook you the most amazing meal I can possibly cook you. I'm going to pour you the tastiest stuff I have in my house. Why would you do this? It's Jesus, right? You love him. He deserves all the honor, and you know it. It would be your joy to do this. Paul's saying that's how the Galatians treated him. 
Paul was honored in the extreme by all of them. If Paul went to Galatia, he wasn't renting a hotel room. He was staying up in their homes, in their beds. No one would have spared any expense for Paul because they loved him. So Paul uses this extreme um, saying, he uses hyperbole here, and he goes, look it, you would have literally, if it made sense and it could have helped me, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So Paul's like, you guys absolutely loved me. And it makes sense, right? Paul, the pastor, brings them words of life. Paul went there, encouraged them, and helped them. Paul was a shepherd who at his own expense went there and started feeding them, right? Encouraging them, helping them, giving them healing words. Paul is like my mom on chicken cutlet night. But we go to verse 16, and he says, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Your enemy by telling you the truth. That's a complete 180, right? They just went from Paul, we love you, we would do anything for you, to Paul, we hate you, you're an enemy. So enemy is a strong word. Paul says that these reverse feelings are happening because Paul is in love, with love, speaking the truth. He literally says, have I become an enemy to you because I'm speaking truth? So this is how this happened technically. This is what I think went on. It wasn't that Paul got a letter by certified horseback that said, Paul, this is the Galatian church. We hate you. You're our enemy now. I don't think that's what happened. I think what's happening is Paul's a smart guy. He knows what he's writing. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he knows he's been going hide. He knows that a lot of the stuff that he's writing in this letter is sharp, it's cutting, and it hurts. Paul knows that he's a shepherd. He's got zero delusions about what that means sometimes when things get tough and you have to say the hard thing. And so he's fulfilling that aspect of his call, but he knows, hey, truth can hurt, and if it's taken the wrong way, if the heart's proud, it's going to turn that person into your enemy. So I've gone through, picked out a few things that we've already covered here on Sundays, a few verses from Paul to explain why I think Paul wrote, hey, this, I'm becoming your enemy now over the truth. In Galatians 1 verse 6, he says, I am astonished, astonished that you are so quickly deserting, deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. That's some spinach right there. That's, some, that's Paul serving up the Brussels sprouts, right? That verse is not easy hamburger, hot dog, pizza night. That is the hard, cutting, serious truth that Paul's job is demanding of him. He says, deserting, turning to a different gospel. If the Galatians are proud at this point and they read this, they're going to go, Paul, who are you to speak like that to us? Who are you to speak like that to us? You crazy? They're going to hate Paul for these words if they're proud. If their heart won't receive that, boom, wall goes up, Paul goes out. Here's another one, chapter 2, verse 15. This one's a little bit harder to see where it's coming from, so I'll explain it. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Gentile sinners. This is Paul. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, 
but through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said. Now, why is that high to stomach truth? Paul's just corrected their thinking. If they're thinking they can add to justification, if they're thinking they can add to their salvation, if they're thinking that their good works are going to do something, Paul just slapped that thought in the face. Just goes, no, you can't. That's the sardines. That's beets. That's getting served sardines and beets. That's Paul with the shepherd's rod going, boop. No, that's not the case. The last one is this, and this is what we came out of last week, Pastor Cruz. Chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And he goes down in verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by flesh? That's Paul serving up boiled tilapia. That's not easy to stomach truth, right? That's the high truth. Paul's not holding back. Paul is like violent with his truth. He's jealous for them. He's going to give them what's hard, even though it's hard. Paul knows that medicine can be bitter, but it's medicine. And he, like a doctor, has to dish that out. So for those of you who were here last week, Pastor Cruz used this text to preach a sermon. And that sermon was all up in the face, right? That was not an easy sermon. That was not easy truth to stomach. It was not the skies are blue and the butterflies are flying in the spring. It was the very, very hard reality and truth of a bloody cross, right? The message was, do not turn back to worthless works after having been touched by grace. Stay staring at the harsh reality of Jesus on the cross for your justification. You started by grace, you finish in grace. Why would you turn back to legalism? So that was the sermon, and that, frankly, is some bitter medicine, right? If you're living your life in self-sufficiency, and a pastor called by God smashes that thinking, smashes that way of living, he can be viewed as an enemy if you're proud. That, those are sharp and cutting words that he is called to give out. So that's part of a pastor's call. Sometimes a pastor is going to come up and come into your house, and he's going to speak and give forms of praise, encouragement, pats on the back, and he's going to have a smile on his face. He's happy, right? Warm affirmations. But sometimes a pastor's truth is going to be sharp. It's going to cut. It's going to hurt. It's going to be like rubbing alcohol on an open cut to clean it. Sometimes the pastor is called to warn people and specifically warn them of sin, right? Warnings can be threatening. They can be dangerous to you. If you're proud, right, you can be like, no, I'm not letting that go. I'm not hearing that. Boom. Truth bounces right off you. So that's what's going on in this text with Paul. The Galatians loved Paul when he was dishing out the good stuff, when he was encouraging, when he was affirming. Paul was their buddy in those times. Paul's the man. But now he's going hard with the warnings. He's identifying sin. He's pointing out idols. And he has to rebuke them. And he's afraid that they're going to turn him into an enemy. So Paul, in love, is not afraid to fulfill this part of his job. But Notice what we're talking about. We're not talking about people outside of the church. 
We're not talking about the world. We're saying that this letter of Paul was written to Galatian Christians, and Paul is their Christian pastor. We already know what happens in the world, right? For Paul, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was imprisoned, he was murdered. We expect from the world our pastors not to be liked. And for the most part, pastors in this world, when they're faithful to the text, will be hated. But we're not talking about the world here. When he asks if he's now become an enemy of the truth, he's talking to Christians. Christians who should love him. So let me ask, is it right that Paul is right now in danger of becoming an enemy? Is it right? No. This is serious business, right? If because Paul is a faithful pastor and he upholds the word, and they reject him because of his truth, and they reject him as an enemy, then the story of the Galatians is tragedy. If they reject Paul when he's speaking the the truth, and Jesus appointed Paul to be their pastor for their good, then this is seriously dangerous stuff. It's dangerous to confuse a truth speaker with someone who's out to be your enemy, with someone who's trying to hurt you. So I'm I'm not going to end that way on the text. I want to say what I think really happened with the Galatians. I don't think that the end of the story with the Galatians and Paul were that they ended up hating him and rejecting him and calling him an enemy. I don't think that's that's what happened. I think when Paul writes, have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? I really do believe and feel quite confident that most who read this would have weeped over those words. I really think that the original manuscript, if you could have it today and you could test it, would have had salty tears on the pages. I really think that they read that and they would have said, no, no, Paul, Paul, we don't hate you. You're not our enemy. We love you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. So now this is the question that the text is going to face us with today. In those warning times from our pastors, in those hard truth times with our pastors, when they point at sin and identify it, what's our heart going to do? Are we going to be loving our pastors in only those encouraging, affirming times? Or are we going to love our pastors when they fulfill that other side of their call? So, okay. Application in a sermon is when the, when the preacher takes the text and he smushes it in your face. And I sit here every Sunday and I get application smushed in my face. So now I'm going to do that to you. First one. If the pastor's God-given job is to warn his people and give them high truths, if that's the case, then we need to love it. It is the pastor's God-given, truth, God-given job to warn his people and give them high truths. So that's easy from this text, and that's throughout the whole Bible. Proverbs 27, 6 says this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So that proverb is true when it comes to parents, when it comes to friends, and when it comes to pastors. Would anyone argue with me in here that spinach is bad for the health of a child? No, right? No one would argue that. My mother loved me. She wanted me healthy, and so she served stuff that was green. I don't know why it works that way. The gross stuff's green. It just is. But she loved me. It felt like she was wounding me, right? But in reality, if she served me hamburgers and hot dogs or even chicken cutlets every night, my mom would have been an enemy to my health. 
It's the same thing with a shepherd in charge of literal sheep, right? If the shepherd's sheep's about to walk off the cliff and the pastor just watches the sheep walk off the cliff and doesn't run after it and hit it to come back from the ledge, is that loving? No, it's not loving, right? The, the shepherd that doesn't do anything about it is lazy and afraid to do the hard thing. And so that's, that's how it is with pastors. Would it feel good if pastors were always high-fiving our souls and patting us on the back? Would that feel good? Yeah, that would definitely feel good. But that would be deadly. Our souls constantly need warning because we're constantly in danger of loving the world and loving stuff in ourselves that is not lovable. So God, in his grace, has given pastors who are tasked with speaking the truth, even though it's hard, for us to receive. God has literally given a pastor this job. So one of the applications of this text is just to realize when a pastor is being faithful, no matter how hard the things he's saying is, he's never, never your enemy. No matter how hard the pastor's demands are on your soul, if he's being faithful, is never your enemy. Okay, so now with that, the second thing. Are you going to love your pastor when he gives you hard truth? Are you going to love your pastor when he speaks hard truth to you? Psalm 141.15, we opened, we opened the service with this. Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil from my head. Let my head not refuse it. So that's a psalm of David. And did you hear his heart in that? Being struck doesn't feel good. Being rebuked doesn't feel good. But David is saying, don't let me refuse when a righteous man strikes me. So that's the question. What's your heart going to do with a godly pastor's warnings and pointing out of your sin? So I, I can give you an example from my own life, and this is recent memory. Uh, as a part of the pastoral residency process, I opened up my finances with a couple pastors of this church, and I just said, here it all is. Here is me, world. And I showed the pastor what was going on, and he, goes, and he told me I was being sneaky with my finances. He called me sneaky. So I'm not talking about tax evasion or legal stuff like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I am literally saying that all I did was I opened up my finances, what I do with it, and my giving with the church. And he goes, you're being sneaky. So money and giving, those are very important things to me. It felt like he took out a knife, stuck it in my stomach, twisted it, and he did it with a smile. That's what it felt like. What was he, what was he doing in regards to my wallet? What was he doing? He was helping me. Did the pastor care about dollar amounts? Nope. Did my heart immediately want to say, all he cares about is money? Yup. Did all he care, was all that he cared about money? Nope. It was a kindness of him to strike me like he did. It was grace to me for him to say what he said and to point something out that I was doing. That was grace to me. So I'm not saying that when a pastor gives you high truth, you can't with humility say, Pastor, look, I don't understand what you're saying. Please, please, open up the word and show me what you're talking about. 
I'm not saying that you can't say, Pastor, if what you're saying is true, I want it. I'm just not there. Help me to get there. Show me what you're saying. Please do do that. It is good to struggle with your pastor in those ways. What I'm talking about is when your heart hears the truth from a pastor, do you want that truth or do you want to just avoid it and turn that pastor into your enemy? So here's some questions to you. Here's some specific questions. When a pastor says, hey, let's talk about money, are you going to like matrix those bullets he's shooting like that? Or are you going to entrust that a pastor is called for um, calling you to hard truths? Are you going to trust the pastor's job in that? When a pastor says, hey, let's just talk about how you haven't really been in the Word much, right? Let's just talk about the fact that you're not in the Word. Are you going to gag on that spinach? Are you going to get defensive, call him a legalist? Or are you going to say, this pastor loves me. He's tasked with my soul. He's doing me a service. When a pastor says, hey, let's talk about gospel communities. Let's talk about what's going on there. Are you going to let the truth that he's speaking just go shoot, shoot, and one out the other? Are you going to say, no, this pastor really does love me, and that's why he's even bringing it up in the first place? So I could say a million examples. Everyone has secret sins and heart motives that they don't want Jesus to walk in on. I'm just going to end by saying, if a pastor, when a pastor, in love, opens the door on some of these high truths in your life, exposes some of these sins in your life and heart motives, is he going to be an enemy, an intruder to you, or are you going to love him as a friend, as a pastor, and just love his job and thank God for it? Pray with me. God, we are amazed at your grace to your church, that you would call weak jars of clay men to be over it, and to speak truth even when it's hard into our lives. God, we need you. We need you to identify sin, to rebuke us, to correct us so that your name would be glorified. God, we pray that you would make this truth real in our lives and in our hearts. We'll give you glory. Amen.